Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. What up? Brad Gilbert here. Nice to actually be back on the airways talking some tennis. We are going to get into making you at home a better tennis player. Whether or not you're a junior, a college player, any type of adult recreational player, we've got you covered talking about tennis and actually tried and help you with areas of your game. I'm really passionate about coaching. I really have a lot of fun doing it. And I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Zach Gilbert, affectionately known as Buck. He will have the organization of the show and the format. Yeah, no uh, coincidence on the last name there. We are related. Brad is my dad. (laughs) Uh, But thanks for the intro. Just want to go over the format. We're going to start off with a new coaching subject to every show and then get into some listener Q&A. Hopefully have some fun on the way, share some stories, and maybe further down the road have some expert guests in as well. So for this first subject on our very first podcast, we want to talk about some recent observations you've had of club players. So take it away. Well, amazing. 30 years on. Buck, winning ugly is still relevant. And so that kind of took me back to that mindset. Okay, I'm going to go back and study club players because that's what I did for the book 30 years ago. I studied club players for a month to get a better understanding of their game. So for the last couple of weeks, been going to Malibu Racket Club and watching a lot of levels from juniors, you know, to 3-0 all the way to 4-5, some 5-0s. Not to mention a few of the lessons I teach and kind of getting an idea on what I'm seeing from cup players and what I can translate. The first thing that, that I noticed on so many courts and, and so many levels, it kind of, you know, I was a little bit surprised that how many players set up so early for their shot and then they get trapped, they get too close to the ball and they don't have any space, you know, whether or not they, you know, kind of hit that wedgie swing or have to take a step back or can't make any adjustment. Because a lot of times when you set up super early, you know, if the ball isn't exactly where you envision it to be, it's going to be a little bit of trouble because, you know, picks up a little bit of speed, uh, you know, maybe bounces higher. It maybe got a little deeper in the court. It got a little shorter in the court. But when you set up super early, it's very difficult to make an adjustment. One player that I happened to see one day when I was having lunch, somebody I've known for the last few years in Malibu, he's a local restauranteur, and he always tells me about how passionate he is about playing. He plays five to six days a week. He plays on quite a few teams. And so I'm having my lunch, sitting there watching him play. I would say, you know, he's late 50s, about a four maybe a 4-5-ish range, a really good 4-0 to a low 4-5. So I'm watching his game and instantly I kind of think, geez, he plays pretty well. Forehand, backhand, does everything really well in the warm-up. He's going to be playing a set with somebody and, and all of a sudden we get to the serve and I start thinking, hmm, that could be a problem. Ball toss all over the place. Start to play this set and it gets worse. One out of every three tosses, and this is being generous, 
he's got to catch it using way too much force and forearm with his left arm, you know, his right-handed player. And he's at the mercy of his serve. The few tosses that he makes, you know, too far forward, he's got to chase it. Whether or not it's far to the right, he's got to slice it. Actually had a really nice motion, no hitches in it, but it was amazing how much of a struggle the service toss was. I happened to see him about 20 minutes later, he comes off the court, you know, I say hello to him, and I say, what up with the ball toss? And he says, yeah, I've been struggling with that for 20 years. And I was like, you're kidding. You're, you, you've struggled with that for 20 years. And I told him, I said, here's a quick little lesson. Tomorrow when you go to the office, bring your racket, bring a tennis ball, get in your chair. And he's looking at me and, and I go over and do a quick demonstration. I like to think of it left hand left pocket. So if you're a right-hander, a little bit of the elephant trunk. You let the ball float off your fingers. And if you can catch it 10 times in a row sitting in the chair, you've started to control your ball toss. And I said, that's what you need. I said, everything in your game is really good. But if you're telling me your ball toss has been bad for 20 years, you're not doing anything about trying to fix it. He goes, yeah, I've just kind of come to you know, realize that that's what it is. And I said, no, you can fix that. You just got to put your mind on it. Sit in the chair. See if you can catch some tosses. Buck, when I was a little kid, I used to walk to school. And I used to throw the ball up in the air, catch it around my, uh, my back, catch it, you know, behind my back, through my legs to learn to control my ball toss. It's a great way to kind of have that concentration on it. Yeah, and just to add to that, I, I love throwing it over my shoulder and trying to catch it no look behind my back. That's like my big ball toss challenge. And I was just wondering, I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but was he holding the ball in his palm a little bit more or towards like the tips of his fingers? Because that's something I notice some people do where they, they sort of palm the toss a little bit too much and don't don't have it too far forward in the fingers on yeah, the release. It's a, it's a good thought. You know, I like to think the best place is on your fingertips and then you let it float, kind of roll in the air. His was, you know, in between. It wasn't on the palm, so it was in between. But his biggest issue was that force, that force of the forearm. A lot of people think they got to use that arm, and then all of a sudden, it just goes all over the place. So I just say, let it float off the fingertips. If you're sitting in a chair, left pocket, straight up in the air, and see if you can catch it. It's a great way. And this guy, if he could just fix the ball toss in the next few weeks, his game will go up exponentially. Because I was amazed that there wasn't a hitch and there wasn't issues with the serve. It was all about the ball toss. And then you were mentioning to me one other guy that, that's a really good player. He was working on some, some drop shots in, in an interesting way. Is that right? We were all the way down on the bottom courts, Buck, and I was hitting a few balls with my daughter who's just getting back into playing again. She played as a, ki a kid and now getting back into it. Yes, a.k.a. my sister. Yes, yes. Julian. <laughs> so guy next to us playing is a very prominent senior player in the 55s. I believe he's in the top 10 in the country. He plays tournaments all over the country and around the world. And... He invests in his game. He will pay like really good local pros or some of the, you know, guys that maybe played a little bit on tour to play with him, to work on his game. 
So this particular day, I'm watching him. He's working with a, a, a player and he's in the backhand corners, right-handed player, and he's working on a very interesting pattern. It got me thinking, impressive. So he was going three balls. He's going backhand cross, second ball, run around the backhand, forehand inside out, third ball, that the guy hits him, kind of travels towards the middle, runs around the backhand again, and he's working on the depth little slice inside out drop shot. And I was thinking, I wonder if that was a one-off play. I watched him do it eight times, make seven of them. And these drop shots were just kissing over the net, very low, short in the court. The strength of his game, he's really fit, moves well. And so he's obviously trying to draw his opponent in. And then he even took it a step further. He was asking the guy he was working with, you think I should be sneaking in when I see that the guy has to maybe get a little air on his shot, maybe the lob volley? Yeah, I was going to say, that's like a fourth shot you could add to the drill after the inside-out dropper is a, is a bump lob. So this guy was really taking his practice to another level, working on something that he was definitely going to try to implement and match play. I see so many people when they practice, maybe they just play or they're, and if they aren't playing, they're hitting volleys two inches from the net. They're actually not really working on a set play, you know, because a lot of us do like to play, but I do even feel like if you're playing a practice doubles match or a practice set, it's a good idea to try to work on something. Don't play exactly the same way that you play in a match. Maybe, you know what, I'm going to work on occasionally trying to serve and volley. Maybe I'm going to work on putting a little more air on my shots. Maybe I'm going to try to come forward on some approaches. Try to do some different things, even if you're not like working on something specific, but playing a set. Be like this prominent senior player. He dedicated an entire practice to working on stuff. And somebody I work with, Chris Everett, is the greatest fan of the drop shot. And it drives her nuts when she sees pro players don't execute the drop shot. She told me when she was 16, her dad always had her work on a basket of drop shots. So when you hit them, that you make them. It's a great way. And props to this guy on that drill. It was fantastic to see. Sounds, sounds good to me. And it worked well for Chrissy. So all good there. <laughs> she could drop shot like a genius. This is my favorite part of the show, Buck. We are going to be taking questions, and it's up to you to get the best questions of the week, and we will bang them out. So what do you got for me today? And I've asked you specifically, I don't want to see the questions beforehand, so I can think about it. Yeah, no, you're hearing these for the first time. First of all, thanks for everyone that sent their questions in. First one from Adam, who's 37. He's a 4-5 player. And it's a multi-part question, so get ready. What do you recommend to a rec player who has a tough time finishing off matches or sets? How do you convince yourself to keep playing the same way that got you the lead in the first place? And then finally, is this unique to rec players, or has this ever been a problem for any of the pros that you've coached? Great question. First, I used to always trick myself, and I wrote about that in Winning Ugly, when I was up 5-4, four, 
trying to close out a set. Everybody knows what's at stake. I would always tell myself, I'm four, five, three, five down. And if you have something that's working, when it's closing time, that's when you want to do it more. Also, my thought process, whenever it's a key game that you can, and a club player, pro player, anybody will say 5-4 closing out a set is a key time. I always want to think about most. I'm very in tuned to my opponent. So many players always think about themselves. If I do this and I do that, I think about what my opponent's weakness is. So I want to think about what I want to make them play. And you want to make them beat you with what you feel like maybe not their best shot. More importantly, too, when it's closing time, relax, breathe, take your time. And if anything, put some first serves in play to take pressure off your second serve. And also, I always used to tell myself, that first point, whatever my best play is, if I serve wide or I serve to backhand or I can attack net, try to do what your strength is on that first point. It's a massive swing point when closing things out because that helps you relax a little bit. You get so stressed when you're love 30 down. So you bring up an interesting question about pros. Listen, pros are no different from club players, from junior players. Everybody knows what's at stake when it's closing time. When I started coaching Andy Murray in 2006, I was learning on the fly about Andy. And we had about eight or nine matches in a row. Oh, that's right. I remember this. And you were there yeah, for yeah, it was a- incredible trouble. how many sets he was up 5-4, serving for the set, serving for the match, serving for, you know, one set all. I think it was nine straight times I counted that when it was closing time to to win the set, all nine, he got broken. And then when I started to bring it up to him, he started to get a little bit annoyed. And so I brought up about know what you want to do here. Know that also you don't have this cushion. Okay. You know, like in his mind, it's like, oh, I got broken. So I can re-break back. That's not the philosophy that you want to have that I can re-break back. I want to be able to hold and take care of business. Get that first point and think about your opponent's weakness. Make him beat it. And I made it conscious to him that like, listen, you're not playing aggressively at closing time. It's okay that you counter punches. But now it's, you know, you got to have a little more conviction and closing. And then by the end of the summer, he was closing way better. So definitely proof that it happens across all levels, though. And uh, as a former college player, I can attest to that. I think I had one year where I lost between singles and doubles. Crazy. I don't like to think about it, but eight different matches where I had a match point. And it was so deep in my head. I remember that. I was going crazy. Short-term memory loss. If you, you get broken, so many people get broken, club players, boom, they lose 7-5. I say short-term memory loss, and you know what helped for me more than anything? At 5-4 and 6-5, I'm closing out a set or a match. I didn't have the biggest serve. I used to always be humming. I won't back down. A little Tom Petty in the head, 
little relaxation. Because it's meditative. Look, Get out of yeah. your own head. And think about your opponent's weakness and find it. All right, next question. Andre R. asks, what is your strategy versus an ultra-aggressive opponent? See, this is a good question. It depends, obviously, on your game. I like to think, okay, so, so we don't know what type of player he is. Or, so the one thing that somebody that's uber-aggressive, you don't want to let him feast on I call balls in the, in the dead zone, like on the service line, easy, attackable. You want to get some height and you want to get some length in the court. And if anything, you know, let's see if we can get this guy moving. You know, maybe play him short, maybe play him up. But what we don't want to do is give him looks from a standing position where if he likes to strike without, you know, having to move, we want to be able to get him out of that. And sometimes I feel like players that really crack the ball like pace. So if let's say if you give them a little bit of pace with no direction, they eat that up. So I used to sometimes think about, okay, maybe I'm going to slice low. Maybe I'm going to get it up. I'm going to keep it because I don't hit the ball big enough to hit through him. Andre used to always say, all right, this guy's a power player. Let's see how much of a power player he is. Let's go mano a mano and take it out of play in the first point, first game. I didn't have that type of game. I was going to say always helps when you have Andre's power in the bag to counter someone else's power. I don't think the average person does. So I would always think it's best to be clever. Let's say I'm playing somebody like Becker who was a power player. I got to be clever. And so I think at the club level, when you fear somebody being able to attack Keep the ball out of the middle of the court. Don't give them first ball meatballs. And if anything, get some length on your shots. All right, next one. Mark D asks, when playing in windy conditions, what's your best advice for hitting into and against the wind? We got some smart questions today. Don't be afraid first to practice more in the wind. When you play in the wind, the wind is an equalizer. So for club players, especially 3-5-4-0, everything in the wind is about small steps. Good footwork, getting spacing because the ball can move, and take your targets in the middle of the court. In windy conditions, players lose the match to unforced errors. So that's the time to be conservative and use the middle of the court. Rafael Nadal is a great one to watch in super windy conditions. He'll play heavy spin. He'll use the middle of the court, but he'll play hard. Andre was probably the best wind player of all time. But I feel like players feel like they can hit to their normal targets. In the wind, you can't. But it starts with feet, little adjustment steps. Use the middle of the court. And remember... Wind playing in the wind, especially let's say it's 25 or 30 miles an hour, it's not going to be pretty. You're going to have to win ugly and you're going to have to be smart with your tactics. Final question of the day. And I, this one's pretty much on a tee for you. James M. asks, can you talk about the value of hitting against the wall? Uh, I just tapped on the wall. My kids like to think I have no zen in my game. My zen, 
I've been playing since I've been three years old on the wall. And we just had during this COVID virus where the courts were closed in all of March, April, and May. And the only thing that I could do occasionally was sneak on the wall, uh, you know, on, on our sand by the beach. It's a great way to get rhythm. When I was a little kid, I would draw a box in the wall, see how many times I could hit it in a row in the box. So I learned to control the ball on the wall. It comes back at you a little quicker, so makes you prepare a little bit quicker. Also, too, if you have a little hitch in your swing, it since the ball's coming back a little quicker, it helps to iron out your swing. Also, too, you can let your swing go by really giving it a rip, and you can isolate a shot. Let's say, can I make 34 hands in a row? My favorite drill, go 15 feet from the wall, like the free throw line. How many volleys in a row can you make, let's say, five feet, so two feet over the net, in a row without making a movement? So that's where you're learning to control the volley without taking any moves. It's a great way to work on your feel. Yeah, maybe you can start a little bit closer than 15 and work your way back. But I love, I love volleys on the wall just because it forces you not to take the racket behind your head, not too far back. So I probably pre-virus and just normal BG, I probably hit two or three days a week for 15 minutes on the wall. A lot of times like like Pepperdine lower courts has a wall, this curve wall. A lot of times I do it after I lift, sometimes before I lift, depending on the wetness of the court. But I just like to go hit and, you know, whether or not it's some forehands, you know, it's a forehand backhand, you can play little games. And like so many kids, I was dreaming when I was a little kid. I was playing this tournament, playing this match. But there are so many good things that you can work on your game on the wall. I know a lot of people love the ball machine, but I've always been a huge fan of the wall. Find a wall, a makeshift wall. Hey, sometimes I'm in my hotel room. I don't even have anywhere to play for the whole tournament. I'll just volley on my wall on the bed. So I just keep my rhythm find a wall, you will get better with your game. And I'm sure the guy in the room next to you with the big business meeting the next morning really appreciates that one. Probably right. That's a wrap on our first Winning Uglier podcast. Buck, your job was much more difficult. All this stuff that you got to do, I just got to do the rips. And keep the questions coming. The Q&A is my favorite part because I really want to help players and the questions kind of get my mind going thinking and it's definitely you and your element yeah absolutely so keep the questions coming and and make them like so i gotta think a little bit yeah and send them to winninguglier at gmail.com that's winninguglier at gmail.com and we'll be back at you next week with winning uglier Dude.